Without further ado, let me uh, open up in a word of prayer. I always like to pray before I get started preaching, so let's uh, pray here this morning. Dear God, I just come before you right now. I thank you so much for this day that you have given to us, God. You are truly an amazing God. And Lord, as, as we've been singing the songs about the, the three in one and, and show us your glory, God, you are, you are in all of this message here this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take the words that I've prepared, Lord. May they be your words and not my words. Lord, if they need to encourage us, may they encourage. If they need to bring hope, may they bring hope. If they need to correct us, then Lord, open up our hearts that we may be corrected and challenged. Lord, whatever it may be that is needed here today, you know your children, you know what we need. And so God, by the power of your spirit, we ask that you would just fill this place, fill our hearts, fill our minds. And whatever is true, seal it up in our hearts. Whatever is false, let it fall by the wayside. And may we ultimately, Lord, give you all the glory and the honor here today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we are in the middle of the series called For Better, For Worse. Obviously, it's about marriage, all right? Um, and Matt kicked it off last week. Phenomenal message. So if you weren't here, you got to go back and listen to it. It's like a broken record. You've heard me say that a thousand times before. Uh, but last week, he preached on love and respect, all right? So if you imagine with what he was sharing about last week with the... Do I need to do anything for this before I get too started? All right. With uh, love and respect, then... Uh, you need to go back and listen to it, but you also have to understand that if you can think through that as the foundational elements of what we're going to lead into today, all right? And so what I'm going to give you are building materials. So he set the foundation, and now we're going to build on top of that foundation. Just like anything else in this world, you have to have that foundation, then you have to have materials. And so as we talk about the materials, I am going to make a strong attempt to sit at times. If I'm not sitting, I want you to know my posture and delivery is sitting, all right? I just have a hard time sitting when I'm preaching. But the goal is I want you to understand that this stage is not a magical uh, stage, all right? Our marriages struggle with the same things, the same things that your marriages struggle with. Our, our ability to execute this is dependent upon the same exact spirit of Christ that we are going to be talking about, right? And so today I am sitting with you as if I were having a conversation with my children at the dinner table or you in a counseling room or just sitting around shooting the breeze, right? I'm going to tell you some materials that are absolutely necessary for building oneness, not happiness, all right? Oneness versus happiness is what we're talking about today. And so this is this is how I'm delivering it today, just like we're sitting here talking, okay, just over the table. You guys just don't get to say anything, all right? So um, it's going to be a long conversation. All right, so our theme verse, though, all right, our theme verse as we kick this off, it comes out of Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verse 31. It's up on your screen up there. Um, so as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. So that's our theme verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Um, and what that does is it sets us up for this challenge. It's our challenge to each one of us to create a marriage that is built upon oneness. It's built upon oneness. And it's, it's straight out of the scripture. And if you remember last week when Matt, was, uh, when Matt was talking, he was talking about oneness equals same team. So if you're struggling with what that oneness looks like, it's hashtag same team. He challenged you to put something, post something on Facebook or whatever social media sites that you have. Um, make sure you continue to do that. Uh, so what we have is that challenge that, that Paul gives to us to the church of Ephesus. It was actually what was founded in the book of Genesis. And we're going to get there in a second. 
But what we're seeing, and the reason why we're going through this right now, and Matt, Matt talked about it better last week, because I just don't have time to talk through it. As a result of the pandemic, people had to spend so much time together. Marriages are not making it out of the pandemic. And, and what was there as a fracture before is now a massive divide, okay? Because we've had to spend so much time together and it's created a lot of division within the homes. And so we really feel like this is necessary for us to talk about right now because marriages are under attack. I mean, marriages are under attack before COVID and now after COVID, COVID didn't create anything, all right? It just revealed things, all right? It revealed where you were already struggling. All right? And so it, it might have made things a little bit worse. So we want to address, okay, how do we address some of those things in our lives so that we don't become a statistic, right? So we ask ourselves, what does God really want then out of our marriages? And, and how do we get there? Okay, so last week, Matt shared out of two books, uh, Love and Respect. We have it available for you for purchase back at the cafe. And then he talked about love languages, okay? So if you weren't here last week, um, uh, you got to go back and listen to it because it sets the foundation perfectly for today. Uh, but last week, he also talked about uh, this crazy cycle and the re energizing cycle and how without love, she reacts a certain way, which then he reacts without respect, and then, it, it, then he reacts, and then it creates a cycle, and it goes crazy, right? And then he talked about the energizing cycle. So how she responds creates a response out of him, and then it fuels the marriage, and you got to go back and listen to it because there's not enough time. He preached it last week, right? So you do it. if you missed it, you go back and listen to it. I can talk about it all day long. But it was fantastic. I can't encourage you enough to go back and listen to it. But those are kind of those ideas, the love and respect, and then the energizing cycles and the, the crazy cycles that exist within each one of our marriages, all right? This, nobody is immune to these things. Nobody is supernaturally relieved from the tension of building a, a marriage, okay? This is something that we all have to do. So he, he, well, he included, he didn't close with this phrase, but he included a statement last week that our marriages should be a testimony of Christ. Our marriages should be a testimony of Christ. So what does that look like and how do we make that happen? So in addition to our theme verse, Ephesians 5.31, all right, there's another verse, Ephesians 5.21, okay? Ephesians 5.21 says this, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so if you notice that, 5.21, 5.31, they're like bookends. And then everything that Matt talked about last week was how to set the foundation. But these are the things, if you don't have, if you don't have the submission and if you don't have the two becoming one, all right, you're going to have a really hard time having a marriage that is built upon oneness. It's built upon, uh, or built upon Christ at all. And so when, when he was talking about that idea of submission, a lot of times, especially in our world today, this idea of submitting to one another is just, it's foreign to our vocabulary and it's definitely foreign to our actions. But I love the definition and it's not, it wasn't Matt's definition. It's the, it's the Greek definition of what submission really means, right? And so submission means this. It means to bring your strength under control. Bring your strength under control. And what a beautiful picture of what submission is really all about. So I encourage you to think about that throughout today because that really sets the foundation for where we're going uh, this morning. And I, I just want to think about the, I want you to think about a horse and a rider and a, a horse, all right? So submission means that idea of bringing your behavior, your power and your strength under, you need to bridle it, all right? So a horse and a rider. A horse is bridled, but a horse represents incredible strength and incredible power, right? And so if you, if you talk to a true horse rider, all right, not, I'm not talking about those of us that are novices, 
uh, because we just barely stay on the horse, right? But a, a true horse rider um, knows that they instinctually feel and act with, at one with that horse. And that horse wants to please its rider, all right? It wants to use its power, its speed, its agility, its strength to do what the rider is asking it to do. And a true, and a true rider, they barely even have to control the horse because the horse and the rider instinctually feel what one another is doing. It's just, it's a thing of beauty. And if you've never experienced it, you don't know someone that is a part of that, I encourage you to find a horse rider and talk to them about it because they could go on and on and on and on and on about it. Trust me, it's a thing, all right? But that is the beautiful picture of strength under control. Because that horse technically could do just about anything it wants to do. Because that little person on top of a 1,200-pound beast really has no control unless the beast wants to be controlled. That's strength under control. And that's exactly what Christ did when he came to this earth. And he modeled for us this idea of submitting to a plan, submitting his power. Just think about it. He's the king of kings. He was the king of kings before he came to the earth. He gave up being the king of kings and he came as an infant. He was the Lord of lords and he came as an infant. He gave up being Lord of lords and yet he still was the Lord of lords, but he came as an infant. He submitted himself to a plan that you and I would think was crazy, but it was part of the plan. That's what submission does. It's, it's taking, I don't like that idea at all, Donnie. That's a stupid idea. You don't understand what I'd be submitting to. Yeah, that's what Jesus said too to God, right? It's like, oh, God, that's a dumb idea. I'm really not going to do that, Dad. That's a stupid idea. I'm going to end up dying. God's like, yeah. Okay, good plan, Dad. All right, so that's, I mean, he submitted himself, right? That was, I mean, we got we to gotta start thinking like what we would think when this idea of submission really comes into play. So how do I use my power? How do I use my strength to serve my spouse? How, what does that look like? So this question, is your marriage a reflection of Christ? Is your marriage a reflection of Christ? That's a question you have to ask. Don't think about your spouse, okay? You can't control what your spouse brings to the table. You think about you. Does your part, what you bring to the table, does it reflect Christ? So how do we do that? How do we do that in our marriage? Because this is the key. This idea, this idea of submitting to one another is key to our marriage. And I'm going to use a book as well. They've changed the cover since, uh, since I went through it on this one. But it's Two Becoming One, all right? And so all, we suggest all three of these, all right? And so I'm going to allude to a few things in here. Uh, just know that all three of these books have highly influenced this whole series. Um, in fact, uh, in this Two Becoming One, Stacy and I are actually going to do uh, a class, a marriage class in the summer. We don't know the dates yet because we're waiting on her uh, work schedule, but there will be a class offered this summer, an eight-week class on marriage um, that you can look forward to, but if you, if you want to. If not, whenever you do a class, it always stirs up things, so use it wisely. Um, but you can sign up for it if you want to, but that's coming in the future. But the, the idea is two becoming one, all right? And it's, it's all through the scriptures. And if you go back to the horse and the rider, the horse and the rider, they don't magically arrive at an instinctual level of knowing how the person and how each other operates, right? It's learned. It's a learned behavior. This idea of submitting to one another is something that's learned over the course of time. Stacy and I are, are, will be married in June in 24 years, right? Matt and Tracy just celebrated 27, right? So, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. But this process of learning... It's miserable, all right? It's miserable. Like, why do you, you want to learn to submit? 
Like, it's hard. Like, why can't we just do what we want? Because it doesn't work. Anybody who's been married past a year knows that if you just do what you want, it causes problems. So we have to learn. It's a learned behavior. That's what I mean by miserable. I love my wife dearly. Like, I wouldn't change it for the world. But learning to submit myself to do what I don't want to do, that's hard, right? It's hard. So I get it. So that's why I'm going to sit down again because it does get hard. I'm talking to myself, right? Got to bring my, rein it in. All right, so then God said, we're going to jump to Genesis, all right? Because this is where it all started. It started way back at the beginning, this idea of two becoming one, this, this oneness idea. God said, let us make human beings in our image, the image of God, all right? To be like ourselves. We are literally a reflection of the image of God. And they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So we're made in the image of God to reign, right? To rule, all right? And, and most, our modern society wants us to think that the earth is uh, here to rule us, but, you know, go back to Genesis, all right? So in the image of God, God gave us responsibilities. We're the ones that are supposed to rule over the earth, all right? He gave us authority on this earth, but... He keeps going on as, what does this image truly look like? Keep going. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This idea of the reflection of God. Keep going. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. This idea that we continue to reflect the image of God, we're to multiply and do it again and again and again. That's how God set up the creation of the world, all right? That was his original plan. He keeps going in chapter two. He says, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper for him. A helper is just right for him. There comes in the female, right? So keep going. But God made them male and female from, oh, nope, we cut out the wrong verse. All right, the other verse, I'll read the other verse, go back one. Um, Genesis 2.24 says, that explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. The two are united as one. Okay, that's where, that was how it all started from the very beginning. God wanted us from the beginning of time for man and woman, male and female, to join together in holy matrimony. He officiated the first marriage celebration in the Garden of Eden. When it was created, the marriage union was perfect. The two became one. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Then Jesus goes on in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 to 9. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This isn't just a Genesis story. It's not an allegory. This is Jesus' direct words to us when he's talking about marriage. And this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. He's directly quoting Genesis, all right? And then he adds, and since they are no longer two, but because they are one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Let no one split apart. This is where Jesus begins to set up his teaching about adultery and about divorce and why it breaks God's heart and why we aren't supposed to do it because he's establishing the foundation, this idea of two becoming one. And say, so what we have to realize from the very beginning of time is that we, go on to the next slide, that we were made 
and created to be one from the beginning of time. But our humanity, our humanity tells us that we deserve to be happy. Our humanity tells us that we deserve to be happy. Hmm. You know who else tells us we deserve to be happy? The world. Oh, you don't deserve that. He shouldn't treat you like that. She shouldn't treat you like that. You don't deserve that. Really? Because we're such good people? Hmm. I don't deserve that? Yep. I think if I go to what Jesus said, he says I deserve hell, death, and damnation. That's what I deserve. Now, praise God, he gave us a way out of that, but if we talk about what we deserve, we deserve far worse than what anybody can give us. Now, maybe your life is a living hell because of a relationship that you're in. That's what you chose if you gave your vow. You see, we, we buy into this lie that we should be happy. And that becomes our focus. And I'm going to tell you, it'll drive a wedge between oneness and happiness. It's, they, they're at odds with one another. You see, the Bible, according to the book of Jeremiah, says that our emotions, our hopes, our desire to be happy is utterly wicked above all else. We get deceived by it. We try to please it, and it's killing our marriages because it's a byproduct, it's not a focus. All right, I truly believe if you focus on being one, you will become one with your spouse. You can, it's not impossible. But if your focus is on being happy, you will kill your marriage. Hear me on that. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Happiness focuses on ourself, all right? Happiness focuses upon ourself. Oneness focuses upon our spouse. Is this a reflection of your marriage? Which, which one is you? Don't answer it. Don't look at your spouse. All right, today's about you. Today's only about you, okay? And if you think, if you think well, this doesn't really apply. I'm not really married or whatever. We're going to get to a, second, a moment here where this is actually how God expects us to love the world, all right? The, the mystery of marriage is the fact that we just can't really get it right in marriage, but this is actually how he loves the world and how we're supposed to love the world. So are we focused upon ourselves or are we focused upon our spouse? You see, happiness will happen if your focus is right. But if you focus on happiness, it's not going to work out very well for you. So how do we create an environment of oneness and not happiness? All right, well, Matt created the foundation last week. All right, I'm going to give you some materials. All right, and here's what I want you to do. You're going to have a lot of objections and you're going to have a lot of yabadonis you don't understand. All right, keep them to yourself and just listen to the material. All right, I'm just... I'm just giving you the material that God gives us in his word. I get life, that's why I'm sitting down, okay? I'm not preaching at you, I am with you. I understand life is hard, relationships are hard. This doesn't always work like a magic pill. But the reality is the truth of the word of God is the truth of the word of God, and Matt will deal with it next week on what happens when, what happens if. That didn't work, or yeah, but this happened, all right? So just save all that for next week. This idea of oneness is what God wants for his entire church. That's why Paul calls it a mystery, a mystery of marriage. He's like, he's like I'm not even talking about marriage, guys. So think about that as, as we keep going on, that this mystery that he gives to us in this beautiful union of marriage is actually what he wants to be reflected in his church. Unfortunately, the church, not just Journey, but I'm talking about the Big C Church, it actually reflects the division and the, the brokenness of the world. 
not the oneness of the Trinity, the, the Godhead that we sang about in the first song, three in one. We actually are a better reflection of the vision and the, well, we should be happy. In fact, if you go to enough churches, they'll tell you you should be happy. Not here. We're going to tell you you should be one. Okay? I believe happiness will happen only with the right focus. All right, so, and this all comes from Jesus, all right? If we want to understand where does this mystery start from, it starts from Jesus' own words. It starts from his own prayer for us. And I don't know if you know this, but he prayed for you, sitting right where you're at. Listen, listen to your, his prayer for you today. Jesus said, I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Okay? He sacrificed himself. This is that his submission to the plan. He says, I'm not just praying only for those, these disciples, the ones that were present with him, the ones that got to hear his word, touch the hem of his garment. He says, no, no, no. I'm praying for all those, nope, keep going back. I'm praying for all those who will hear their message, believe in, who will, I'm praying for all these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and I. We're going to believe in their message. Okay, keep going. I pray that they will all be one. Here's that idea. All the way since the beginning of time, Genesis, Jesus is repeating the creative story again because he is the fulfillment of everything that Genesis was supposed to be. So just as you and I, God, are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. The whole point of marriage and the church is so that the world will believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that the world will believe that Jesus' word is true. And what did he give us so that we could be one? Keep going. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. They may be one as we are one. Do you hear Genesis repeated again and again and again? This whole idea of three and one, I am in them and you are in me. And do you see, he gave them the glory. We sang about, show us your glory. His glory is represented in us. May they experience such perfect unity. This is his prayer for the church. This is why Paul says, guys, I'm, not even, I'm just talking about the, the mystery of marriage is actually what Christ's message is for the church. May each of them experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. That is the mystery of marriage. And that's why this passage that Jesus prayed here, this prayer that he prays for you and I, this is why divorce breaks his heart. It's not because he hates people that get divorced. Some of you in here might be in a, a divorce situation right now, maybe walking through the throes of divorce. I don't know. But if you are, then you know the living hell that you're walking through. You know the brokenness that that incurs. You know the pain of a broken relationship. That was not the creative story. God never intended for that brokenness to happen. That wasn't what he created. That's a result of the fall. That's a result of sin. That's the same way with divorce or adultery. Uh, anybody, he says that anybody that gets a divorce commits adultery, right? Why? He goes on and says anybody that thinks different, if anybody lusts after a woman, you commit adultery. Why? Because you're breaking this idea of oneness. You're thinking about satisfying yourself instead of serving your spouse. You break the covenant. You break the vow. You're all about you. You're not about them. That's, that's why when he says you commit adultery, why? Because you're thinking about yourself. You violated the covenant that you made to the one you said you love. That's why he hates divorce. That's why he hates adultery. Not because he hates people. Because 
Each one of those acts creates a broken relationship. And the closest thing that he's given to us is marriage, right? The, the only thing he has given to us is this idea of marriage. And, and the whole Bible is designed to give us guidelines, guardrails, to keep us from having to deal with broken relationships. Now the good news, the good news in this is the fact that, you know, we may think, yeah, but the disciples had Jesus, they could have asked him whatever. He's like, you know what, guys, I'm going to send someone even greater. He's like, I'm going I'm to give you my glory, right? I'm going to give you my spirit. So he left his spirit inside of us because he knew that we were going to struggle with this as humans. Like he knew our humanity was going to be driven towards happiness and selfishness. He's like, that's going to be, that's going to kind of break this whole idea of being one with the world. Like I sent you down to serve them just like my son came down to serve and you're going to be all about yourself. And so you're going to need some help. And so I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And so he gives us uh, today the two materials I want us to, to think about as we work with it this morning. Uh, to create oneness is the Holy Spirit and love, all right? The Holy Spirit and love. Now, if you think about uh, two weeks ago, or a couple weeks ago, we did the message on um, what Jesus, victory in Jesus, victory over the mind, victory over our lives and in our spirits and, and in our physical being, right? And the victory that Christ brought. So a lot of, there's a lot of parallels here. But the Holy Spirit was given to us for our vows. Remember that vow that says in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, till death do us part. You see, that, that very vow, now maybe some of you didn't say it, I've, I've done a lot of weddings, and uh, some of them write their own vows, and they purposely leave those out, because they have no intention of staying together. They want to give themselves an out before they ever get married. Okay? I'd strongly advise against that, but it happens. But the whole idea behind that vow is predicated upon the fact that if you remember what Jesus did, there's nothing, there's neither height nor depth, nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That's what the marriage vow is supposed to represent. There's nothing that can happen in life that can break that covenant. It's the only thing on earth that he's given to us that can mimic the love that he has for his own son and that he has for his church. That's why he gave us the covenant of marriage. The cool thing is, is that his covenant even, isn't even broken in death. Ours is, but his isn't. Isn't that cool? Like, aren't we glad that he doesn't ever break his, his covenant? I want, us, I want us to look at what does the Holy Spirit bring to us, all right? I'm going to read the passage. It comes directly out of Galatians, okay? Galatians 5, chapter, chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. And then I'm going to go through each one of these in a minute. But it says this, that the Holy Spirit produces. Now, I want you to see that phrase. Because unfortunately, in our marriages and in our lives, we oftentimes try to produce these ourselves. And, it, and it's only based upon your self-will, your self-discipline. Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We read over it just like that, fast, speedy. Yeah, that's what he does, whatever. But it's a supernatural passing. That's his glory. His glory. This is his glory. This is the glory of Christ. And he says, I am going to give you my glory. I'm going to give these things to you. And the Holy Spirit will produce it. But we focus upon our efforts in Christ. We should be focusing upon the work of the Spirit. Against these things, there is no law. So when we think about the materials and the tools that God gives to us, it doesn't mean that it'll be easy. It means that the Holy Spirit is going to produce these things inside of us. Now, again, when we talk about the things I'm going to share with you in a second, all right, and we talk about submitting and surrendering to one another, and we take this vow, this covenant, 
this vow that our, until death do us part. I, I get it, like life gets messy. So just, again, save all your yeah buts for next week, okay? If we want a marriage that's built upon oneness, these are the components that are necessary to allow this to happen. And I want us to see what does the Holy Spirit naturally produce within us, all right? Because what we're saying, and I want you to just focus on yourself, don't think about your spouse. Because when we take that vow, what we're saying to our spouse is, this is how I will love you. Doesn't matter how you treat me, what matters is how I'm going to treat you, and this is what I'm committing to. So these materials are what the Holy Spirit produces in you. So as we go through these materials, I want you to ask yourself, are these things evident in my life? Now, don't think about your worst day. Don't think about how bad your day was and the uh, Holy Spirit wasn't evident that day. All right, I'm talking about your normal everyday existence. Now, if your normal everyday existence is bad, well, then you need more of the Spirit. All right, so we're going to go through these one by one, all right? We're not going to talk about love because it has its own separate platform, and we'll talk about that in a second. So as you think through your marriage vows, and as, are, are these things evident in your life? Joy. Are you joyful? Is your life marked by joy in your life? Peace. Is your life and your mind full of peace? Are you, is your life marked by that peace that we talked about in the last sermon series? Is your life marked by patience and long-suffering? Is your, is your relationship marked by patience and long-suffering? Keep going. Now, some of the words begin to start sounding similar. It's like, well, why did he just repeat it? Well, actually, in the Greek, they actually mean something different. And I'll tell you what they mean. Kindness. This actually means, is your outward demeanor morally excellent? Is your outward demeanor, the things that are shown, is it morally excellent, praiseworthy? Goodness. Do you live a life of charity and mercy is what that word means. Is it evident to those? Is it marked? Is your life marked by these things? Is your relationship marked? by these things is your marriage this is a, these are things that the holy spirit gives to us this is the glory of christ coming alive in us we don't have to produce these the the spirit produces these within us faithfulness is your life marked by faith in the truths of god or do you try to make exceptions for why that that truth of god is no longer valid in today's world like that's an ancient truth that's not really god's truth today like that's archaic is your mar life marked by faithfulness? Keep going. Gentleness or humility, as some of them say. Is your life marked by a willingness to, to submit your strength without resistance? Ooh. Well, that's a hard one, isn't it? Is your life marked by a willingness to submit your strength without resistance? Self-control, some translations call it temperance. Are you given to addictions, addictive behavior? Or do you have moderation evidenced in your life? Addictions can come in all forms, all forms. So if any of these aren't evident in your life, if, the, if you don't see these things being manifested in your life, uh, you can't work at making them. You can't just be more disciplined, all right? These, are, these things reflect the glory of God, all right? If these things are not evident, it is likely that you're seeking to be happy and self-led versus spirit-filled, Okay, And we just have to be honest with ourselves. If they, if they aren't showing up regularly on a daily basis, then are you trying to do it all on your own? And I'm telling you, you don't have to do it on your own. Christ didn't, Christ didn't leave us so that we would have to emulate His glory on our own merit. It would be impossible. He literally left Himself to reside inside of us 
And he supernaturally can provide these things to you if you focus on being spirit-filled versus selfishly led or happy, as the world would want you to be defined. You see, in order to do this, life is going to wear you down. It doesn't matter how disciplined you are. Some people are more disciplined than others. I get that. That's the nature of the beast. But what the truth is, if you go to the next slide, is that in order to truly walk like this, is we must live in a repentant dependence. We must all, all the time submit our humanity to the Spirit of Christ. To that, to saying, and this is, this is how it's done. I just want you to all do one thing with me, all right? We aren't going to sit here and hum or say a chant or anything, all right? Or we aren't going to complete the circle or sit Indian style. I just want you to take a deep breath, all right? Close your eyes just for a second. Take a deep breath. And just say a simple prayer. Holy Spirit, fill my life with your presence. That's all we have to do. Let the Holy Spirit reside in you. He does a complete reset in a moment like that. Holy Spirit, give me your presence. Cease my striving. Let me reflect your glory. He's there for you. That's what the Spirit does. I wish we could sit there and, and continue to experience the love of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of Him. But i got to give you the second key, and I'm going to close on the second key here, and it's the key of love. We've got to love one another. And I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7, through 7, but I'm going to stop along the way. So as I go through it, Tony, if you just want to just work with me as I walk through this. Uh, I encourage you to read it on your Bible or close your eyes and listen to it. Again, I don't want you thinking about your spouse. I want you thinking about you. I want you thinking about what do you bring to your relationship because this is the second component that has to be present. And it's love. Love has to be there. Matt talked about it last week. If we, have, if we could speak a thousand languages, it'd be worth nothing if it's not laced with love. So what kind of love does the Holy Spirit supernaturally impart to you and give you access to if you just want it. That same thing you just prayed for, Holy Spirit, fill me. This is the type of love you just asked for. And it's possible if you keep your, fo your focus and your mind focused on what the Holy Spirit produces, all right? This is what it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, and one little line in verse 8. Love is patient and kind. Think about yourself to say, am I patient? Is my really... Just... If you're married, just think about marriage. If you're not married, think about your closest friend. Is my, is my relationship, is my life filled with patience and kindness? Love is not jealous. Are you envious of your spouse? Are you envious of what they bring to the table? Are you envious of who they are, what they have? What about your friend? Are you boastful? Love isn't boastful. Do you boast about what you bring to the table, what you bring to the relationship? It's all about you. That's not love. That's, not, that's boasting. Are you proud? Are you full of arrogance and, and pride? Are you always trying to make yourself look good compared to others? Always one-up them? What about your spouse? Do you tear them down in public to make yourself look good? Make fun of them? Get a good laugh at their expense? I've seen it happen all the time. That's not love. That's not love at all. Oh, I love this one. Love isn't rude. Are you rude? What does that really mean? The actual word there means we do not purposely act inappropriate. 
This was probably a little bit harder for men. Did not purposely act inappropriate. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen husbands purposely try to annoy their spouse in public just to get a rise out of them. Just to see if they can poke their buttons. Guys, you can poke your button. Trust me, you don't need to do it in public. That's rude. Don't make her, don't make her look like what you want everybody to think she is. That's your fault. You're rude. Same goes for women. I'm a man. I can't talk to you women. I'm talking to me. I said, don't think about the other person. I said, think about yourself. I'm thinking about me. Don't be rude. Does not demand its own way. Do you demand your own way? Another phrase says it's not easily irritable. Mm. It's another, another word is it's not exasperated easily. So many people are on the edge of snapping each other in a moment's notice. If you're not married yet, folks, I want to tell you right now, your spouse is going to annoy you, all right, <laughs> at some point in time. I know honeymoon stages, oh no, they won't. I love them so much. No, oh, that'll end. They will annoy you at some point in time. How are you going to respond? Are you going to demand your own way so that they stop annoying you? Are you going to love them? Keeps no record of wrongs. Oh my goodness. Parents, we should learn this just with our kids. Keeps no record of wrongs. Let that set for a second. I don't even need to preach on that one. Let the Holy Spirit do that. All right, verse six. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. What does that mean? That's a phrase all together in one. This is more an environment that we create. So let me ask you a question. Do you live a life of secrecy? Always on the verge of getting caught, hoping you don't get caught? Or do you celebrate when you get away with wrongdoing? I know how to, I know how to catch her. I know how to keep from getting caught. Or do you celebrate when you live in the truth? This is the one where we start thinking about the, yeah, see, they're always living in secrecy. I'm always catching them. Oh, no, no, no. This is, I got you too. Because if you want to celebrate the truth, you can't punish secrecy. Hear that. If you want to celebrate the truth, you got to create an environment where it's safe to tell you the truth. Because if you create an environment where it's unsafe to tell the truth, guess what? They'll become masters at secrecy because you aren't safe. All right, so parents, please learn this as raising your children as well. It's your environment. True love creates... I don't, I don't fear going to Christ with my sin. He already knows what I did. I know he's going to love me in spite of myself. Does your spouse know that? That's an environment. Rejoices in the truth. Do you celebrate the truth, even though it may hurt? Mm. Man, love is hard. It doesn't get any easier. Verse 7 starts talking about this continued environment that we're creating. Love never gives up. It always protects Love creates an environment of protection. Instead, we say things like, I can't do this anymore. You're right. You never could. Your self-discipline wore out. As Matt talks about it, when he talks about marriage, he talks about the wine will run out. It will. Sometime. But instead, does your spouse know that no matter what, you're always going to create a relationship that will protect them? Is that what they know exists within them? Or do they live in a place of fear that your love and protection may run out if you don't act a certain way? How about, how about love never loses faith, it always trusts? You didn't know this, 
these two verses could be this long, did you? Love never loses faith. It always trusts. Am I creating an environment of trust? Can my spouse trust my love? Can my spouse, does my spouse know that my love is trustworthy regardless of the circumstances? You see, many marriages are built upon conditional love. They're built upon ifs and thens. They're built upon environmental conditions. A marriage of oneness is built upon always, not if. Always, not if. If you do this, then I'll love you. No, no, no. Your vow said, death do us part. Nothing will separate my vow from you. Do you see how this works? Nothing can erase that. Nothing can erase that covenant. Now, you can, you can break the covenant of marriage. Many people, have, many people live in multiple broken covenants. God forgives it, right? Because that's what he does. But it never erased the covenant. It just breaks the covenant. And that's why he gave us marriage because, and that's, that, again, it goes back to why he doesn't like divorce because a, a covenant can never truly be broken or erased. It can only be broken. And God himself cannot break his covenant. And the only thing he's given us as humans to reflect his glory is this marriage covenant. That's why he so desperately wants it to reflect his love. Because it's truly the only thing that we can commit to on earth that reflects how committed he is to never breaking his word. That's what it is. Do we create that type of trust within our relationship? Most homes are built upon conditions. Most parenting skills are built upon conditions. Is it hopeful? Love is always hopeful. Are you creating an environment where there will always be a better day? Tomorrow is a new day. The Bible says all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Is that what you create in your home? Again, guys and ladies, we are, we're talking to ourselves. Is this, is this what my life re resembles? And then it endures through every circumstance. Does your spouse know come hell or high water, your spouse will know that you'll be there? No matter what? Are you creating an environment of security or an environment of conditions? It's your choice. That's love. Like, but you have the Holy Spirit to help you love like this. And we look at this, man, if we could do just this alone, it would change our marriages. It would change every relationship that we're in. You see, oneness, hashtag same team, it requires, it requires the Holy Spirit. It requires love, Right? If you, want to, if you want to hashtag same team, these are two materials that you cannot live without. It's not going to work because you will run out of yourself. Your discipline will dissipate. There's so much more to oneness. There's so much in these books. I encourage you, uh, go buy these books. You can get them on Amazon.com. We've got one of them back at the, at the cafe. But everything that we've talked about and what Matt will continue to talk about, it's evidenced in these three books right here. It's evidenced in the Bible. It's there for you. God gave us his glory so that we could do this in our marriages. The question we have to ask ourselves is, will I submit to a life led by the Spirit so that I can create a relationship built with love? Will I submit to a life led by the Spirit so that I can create a relationship built with love? No one can answer that question for you. Today's about two becoming one. It's about what does that look like. My hope, my, my encouragement to you today ends with this statement, all right? And so I, I believe this with all of my heart. Those of you that aren't married, those of you that are getting married, those of you that already are married, 
This is what I want you to leave with. If you are both committed to oneness, instead of happiness, your marriage will be a reflection of the glory of God. You have the ability within you today, through the power of the Spirit at work within you, to be a reflection of His glory. We sang about it at the beginning. Show us your glory. He wants you to be a reflection to the world of His glory by the way that you learn how to become one. And here's my encouragement to you as well. If you're in this room and you're divorced, here's the cool thing about God. He redeems all things. He redeems all things. He is the great redeemer. Right? He is the God of second chances. He's the God of third chances. He can redeem everything. He doesn't want any of us to have to experience the brokenness of relationship. And he's given us the tools, the choices up to us, if we'll pick them up. Let's pray. Dear God, we just come before you right now, Lord. We love you. We thank you. And God, again, I just pray that the words that I've shared here today, Lord, if, they're, if, they're, if they need to chastise us, Lord, let them just chastise us as, the, as your Holy Spirit does, and then you build us back up. If they need to encourage us, Lord, I, I ask that you encourage us. Lord, if they need to just challenge us, then challenge us. Lord, wherever we're at in our walk with you, then God, wherever anybody is at in your relationship with you, Lord, I pray that your Spirit just breathes life into their life right now. Let them feel the power of your Spirit's presence. And God, may we as a church and as individuals, Lord, may I as a husband be a reflection of the glory of you in this world so that, God, this mystery of marriage can be unfolded in your church, that we can truly point people to the hope and realize, yeah, there's no way we can do it on our own. It's a good thing you don't ask us to. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, and thank you. Amen.